Well, if you will please uh, take a, a copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. To give us some context, we're going to read the, the whole chapter. So um, follow along with me, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and has anointed his witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought, out, brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. Let me read that again. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah, And Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, had come against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants. Pray for your servants, O Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to his people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. 
The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it is pleased, O Lord, to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're thankful that the sin of your people um, did not keep them from a relationship with you. But indeed, that very relationship you had with them caused them to repent. They might turn to you again. Lord, help us this morning as we seek to understand what this means for our own life the pattern of the Christian life of repentance. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would illumine our, uh, this text, enlighten our hearts, and grant anointing to both the speaker, the preacher, uh, and the hearer alike. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You've heard of the Reformation, I trust. Uh, the Reformation was uh, something, a series of events, if you will, that happened in the 16th century in which uh, names you might have heard of played a very prominent role. People like Luther, and Bootser, Calvin, Zwingli, and others. But ultimately, the, the issue of the Reformation can be boiled down to this question of how is man saved? How is he justified? How is he made right before God? As we look at this text and as we look at our lives, these are very important questions, aren't they? For what happens when we sin? What happens when, after resolving again and again and again and again and again, not to fall into some sin, particular sin or sin in general, we, we find ourselves in the same situation. What does this mean for our relationship to the Lord? What does this mean about forgiveness of sins? Does this change everything? Does this nullify our salvation? What must we do in order to be restored into a right relationship with God, or do we have to do anything? There are just a lot of questions that come up when we find ourselves in the throes of of the everyday Christian life of success and failure, sinfulness and faithfulness, the ups and downs. This is a question that that the medieval church, the church against whom the the reformers were protesting, that's where the word Protestant came from, protesting against. The the medieval church had said that, that yes, you're saved by Christ, but, and it's that but that got um, Luther and others a little excited, and perhaps also ought to get us a little excited as well. But you're saved by Christ, and when you sin, you're saved by Christ and forgiven by Christ. But you must do X, Y, and Z in order to be fully restored to a right relationship with Jesus. Yeah, you're saved, but if you were to die today, we're not saying what would really happen. That's what the medieval church said. And what they said was that you had to do uh, the, the sacraments. 
So the Lord's Supper did not no longer became a place where we receive God's grace and, and we were fed by Him and we meet with Him and others in a, in a special way. It became a place where we would sacrifice Jesus in order to gain salvation again. For the sacrament of penance, uh, so-called sacrament of penance, where you would go to the priest and confess your sins and he would absolve you of your sins only after you had done things he had prescribed for you. So many prayers, so many masses to attend, so many good works. It ended up that that salvation was no longer given to us by Jesus, but became about what we could do. But you know, I think we fall into the same trap, don't we? We may not put it that, that concisely, hopefully we would not, but we fall into the same trap, uh, the sin of the Galatians, the Galatian heresy, which we looked at earlier this year, of thinking that our salvation in some part is due to our efforts. See, Luther and others realized this could not be true. For Christ has saved us from the first to the last, and if we are truly His, we will repent of our sins, put our faith in Him once again, and it is His blood that has atoned for our every sin. They have been forgiven that we have, still have a relationship with the Lord. And it's out of that relationship that we seek Him again, out of that established relationship of His love that it never wavers, that unconditional love that never wavers, that we can return to Him again and again and again and seek His forgiveness and seek His love for we have never lost it. And so when Luther nailed his 95 theses or statements or arguments on the Wittenberg Church, Castle Church door in 1517, on what we say is Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Uh, the first thesis was, uh, when our Lord and Master Jesus said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. We are called in this life as we, the ups and downs of life, the failures and successes, the good days and the bad days of fighting sin, we are called to have this pattern of repentance woven throughout our lives. And the reason that we can constantly repent of our sins and turn again to the Lord is because we have a relationship that has been established on the merits of someone else, of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Our text this morning um, is a significant one. 1 Samuel 12 uh, finds us after the period of the judges. And here we have what uh, we might call Samuel's farewell speech. It may or may not have been at the coronation of, of King Saul. There's some evidence to say it was and some that wasn't. We're not real sure when this farewell speech was given. It, he wasn't about to die. Uh, he still had some service to do to, to the Lord and to uh, the country, the nation of Israel. But this was, in, in many ways, his farewell speech as judge. You'll remember the, the judges, the, the period of the judges, was the time uh, between uh, Joshua, after Joshua's death, uh, and, and, and Saul being raised up. And it was a time of, of great turmoil and apostasy in Israel. They had taken over the promised land, at least most of it, and, uh, and yet they had still failed to get some of the, the Canaanites out. Um, they'd taken the promised land and they'd immediately forgotten who had given the promised land to them. And again and again, they, they went out after other gods. And, and, and then the, the one true God, the one true God, would discipline his, his people. 
his covenant people whom he had saved and redeemed. And he would send a judge to save them out of the hand of the Philistines, Amorites, the Moabites, that the list goes on and on. But it's interesting because each time there's a new judge in the book of the Judges, I, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's very interesting reading. It's, it's certainly um, very eventful. Uh, with each new judge, we find that, that each new judge isn't quite as godly as the last one. We have good, good judges like Ehud and, and Deborah. And then you have some strange things like Samson. Who can describe Samson? The Lord would use him to to deliver his people out of the hand of their enemies, and yet a man who sinned greatly. And you have tragic judges like Jephthah, who's mentioned in our text this morning. It's interesting that he would be mentioned in a good light here because he would deliver his people, God's people, from, uh, from his enemies and then make a rash vow that he would... Um, uh, sacrifice whatever came out of his house first, and it ended up being his daughter. And instead of realizing that was an ungodly vow, he carried it out. It's just a, it's a downward cycle that these judges were less and less godly. And then you finally get to Samuel, who is the last judge, who is a good and godly and just judge. But, but even there, not everything's right because his two sons were evil and did not walk with the Lord. And so any kind of... Um, uh, establishment of, a, of, of his sons being judges would not have been a good situation. Well, the people sinned. They, the people sinned because they wanted a king. They wanted a king. And the text here says that God was king over them. And yet they turned their backs on the Lord. And they wanted a king. They made an idol of a king. Not a godly king. They wanted a king who would make them like the other nations. Other nations who had a great pantheon of gods. Other kings who would um, have great glory for themselves instead of for their God. They wanted a king whom they could see. They wanted a king ultimately whom they could control. They wanted a king they could depose. They wanted a king they could follow that was not their God. And so in this farewell address, Samuel calls them to account. He is, as one, um, is one study Bible uh, quickly referenced this morning, uh, put it that he is making a legal case against them. He's making a legal case against them. And, and in order to fully show them uh, how serious this sin was, they would ask for a king. He promises a sign. What a great sign this would have been. All of Israel is there, and the wheat harvest uh, is, is around that time. And we read in, in 17 and 18 that Samuel called upon the Lord, and, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel to show them that their sin was indeed great. They beheld the heinousness of their sin and the wrath of God. What is, what is their response? So they saw their sin, right? And as we think about the, the cycle of the Christian life of repentance on a daily basis, of success in, in fighting temptation and then utter failure, how many times had Israel failed again and again and again, turning away from their king? What, what is meant to be our response? It is meant to be Repentance. It is meant to be repentance. We see their reaction in verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, 
that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. The, the first step in repentance, of daily repentance, is seeing that our sin really is that. It is sin and it is mine. It's not this person made me do that. No one makes us have any emotion, by the way. We control our emotions. Even though it sometimes feels like we are uh, victims of our emotions. But when we say someone makes us angry, no one makes us angry. We allow ourselves to get angry. Our sin cannot be um, uh, mitigated. The guilt for our sin cannot be mitigated or or shared. For in the end, it is our sin. And the Israelites here realize that. The Amorites were outside the gates. They needed a king to come save them. Surely that would have mitigated their sin. Surely you understand, Samuel, that we sinned, but we had a great need. No, they, they don't plead that here, do they? They realize that they have added to their sin this great evil thing. And in our daily walk with the Lord, our daily walk in community with each other and with our spouses and with our families, we must first admit when we have sinned that it is truly sin and see the heinousness of our sin that it really is serious before a living God. What did they do? They saw what they deserved. They saw the wrath of God displayed in those great thunderclouds. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen Sphinx's uh, picture that he took. Uh, where's Sphinx? Uh, where's Sphinx? Is it a wall cloud? Shelf cloud. Have you seen this picture on Facebook? If you have Facebook, go. If you don't have Facebook, find someone who does. Or just go Sphinx. He'll show it to you. It's this, this fantastic wall cloud? Shelf cloud. Uh, this fantastic shelf cloud that, that is over uh, the, the city of Bruton several weeks ago. And it just looks so impending. It seems like a, a cloud of doom. I don't know if there was water in it or not. I don't know the first thing about clouds. But it wasn't white and fluffy. Uh, when God's people have, have, have come together to hear Samuel's address, they see God's great power and wrath displayed in the thunder and the rain. They're out in the middle of the fields. They don't have any shelter. I was sitting here Friday afternoon uh, during the great storms, and I looked right out my window, and, a, and a, I just saw a lightning bolt hit, I don't know, probably about a mile or so north of us. I don't know how far it was. And This is the sort of thing they're looking at, and it's because of their sin. What a scary thing indeed it is to be in the, in the hands of an angry God. This is what our sin deserves. and This is what we must first see. But the second thing is we must not um, turn and run from the Lord, but run to Him. So often when we sin and we see the heinousness and weight of our sin, and especially the collateral damage it is caused by others, what do we do? We turn again to the same idols and the same things that we have run from. We run from the Lord instead of to Him because surely we would not find forgiveness. Surely He can't love us again. Surely my sin is too bad this time. He won't help me this time. That's what we think. My friends, the exact opposite is the truth. We run to the Lord. For we have this established relationship with Him that is not based on our performance. It is based upon the performance of Christ Jesus in our place. We run to Him, not from Him. And as we do this, we run from empty things. Verse 21, we read, And do not turn aside after empty things or vain things or idols that can... Uh, not profit or deliver, for they are empty. What had they run after? They had run after a king. They'd run after an earthly king, a king they could see, and they could put gold on him and give them their kids to, to ride along and, and run along their chariots, even as Samuel warned them. The king who would take their fields and the kings who would impress their families for war. They wanted such a king as this. Don't run again to the things that are empty. 
for there you will not find forgiveness. But then we have this amazing statement. It's just an amazing statement. What, what is Samuel's response to their plea for his prayer? Verse 20. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Does that strike you as a very interesting thing to say? Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. We would expect him to say, be very afraid. You have done all this evil. And indeed, if we are not covered with the very blood of Jesus, we should be very afraid. (laughs) But if you are a Christian today, how can you run to the Lord when you have sinned? Because he can say, do not be afraid. You have done this evil thing because I have paid for it with the precious blood of my son. This is why we can turn from the Lord. The the Westminster Shorter uh, Catechism says that when we repent, we, we not only see the heinousness of our sin, but the loveliness of Christ. The loveliness of Christ, that he welcomes us again into his arms. We have not lost our salvation. We don't have to do X, Y, and Z. We don't have to do all these good works in order to make up for our sin, in order for him to love us again. He loves us because we are his people, and he has bought us. Life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 We turn to the Lord. What does this mean for our relationship with the Lord? What does sin mean for the relationship our relationship with the Lord. Well, it certainly hurts our relationship with the Lord. In the sense, we don't, we don't enjoy the, the closeness, the fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus. In a marriage with parents, with friends. I think the marriage is perhaps the best illustration because the, the marriage, you know, divorce is a sin, and, and except in biblical situations. Uh, and there's that underlying commitment there between the wife and the husband and a godly relationship. They're not going to go anywhere just because you've gotten into a bad argument. But you don't enjoy that fellowship, do you? You don't enjoy that, that close unity that you have. You have it, but you don't enjoy it at that moment. That's how it is with Christ. He is our groom. We are his bride. And we have that relationship with him, though we're not enjoying what we already have. And so when we ask for forgiveness of our spouse, of the Lord, of our friends, whoever it is, we enjoy again what is already ours. We are his people. And that's, and that's the basis of this text here. Um, God will not forsake his people, verse 22. Why does he do all this? Why does he forgive? Why does he welcome us back in? For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. What a great promise. The Lord will not forsake his people. How can we ever say that? How can we ever say that God will not forsake his people? Why? Because God has forsaken his son on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22 on the cross. The father, he had forsaken the son so that he will not have to forsake us. Even when we forsake him, even when we run from him, even when we are not faithful, he remains faithful because he cannot go against his very character. 
we are his people. So my friends, do you see that in this, in this ebb and flow of the Christian life, repentance is possible because we have the assurance of salvation. He is, he is um, uh, just, just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the other word there in, for, in Titus uh, 1? 1 Timothy 1. Um, there's another word there. Here's something unjust to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is, for, he is not forsaken his people, nor he, will he ever. This is why we can run to him, knowing that he will accept us once again. And this is the very basis of the Christian life. If we are not doing this, we do not have a vibrant relationship with Jesus because we do not see our sin. And that is crucial to walking with the Lord. Well, why does he do this all? We get this also in verse 22. For his namesake, for his great namesake, even as we sang, um, glorify thy name for his own glory. He does this for his own glory, that he might be called great. What, what great God do we have? Even as we said in, in Psalm 86, for there are no gods like you. There, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there works like yours. Of all, the, of all the so-called gods of this world, which one forgives his people when they turn from him? None. Not a one. But the living God does. Do you know the living God? The greatest question we'll ask today. Do you know the living God? Because he promises to forgive you of all your sins. Without that forgiveness, we face the the shelf cloud of God's great fury on our own. Well, here's the thing, that that God's people had cried out for a king. They had cried out for a king. And God gave him one. His name was Saul, and he was a terrible king. He started out as a good king. He ended up as a terrible king. In the next chapter, we see why. He, He sacrificed to the Lord when he wasn't meant to. He did not wait for the Lord. Um, Many other things, but... They got a terrible king. But then God raised up a better king, David, of a different tribe, the tribe of Judah. And this king was a good king. But even this great king, who would see the bounds of, of Israel stretch to their furthest, who would prepare for the, the, um, the building of the temple, even this great king failed miserably, didn't he? Because he's pointing us to the true king. The true king who would come, Jesus Christ. Who this time would not reign and rule as his people had expected, who had not desired. Surely the people of 1 Samuel would not desire Jesus to reign like he did. To lay down his life for our sin, which was necessary that God might not forsake us. My friends, your king laid down his life for you, that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Do you know this king? For he has laid his life for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the promise of forgiveness. That we have the promise to forgive us. That you are faithful and just to forgive. That you will not forsake us. That you have not forsaken us. That when we have run from you, you have called us back and you have disciplined your children time and time again. That we might return to you. Lord, show us our sin that we might repent. Show us the, the, the beauty of Jesus and the salvation that we have because of his great sacrifice. We yearn for the day when we see our Savior with our eyes and no longer by faith. Until then, Lord, help us to walk with you every day for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.